0: Thank you. Uh, It's great to be here. Great to see you all. Uh, It's always a blessing to obviously preach God's word, but obviously this weekend has been very special. I I normally introduce myself a little bit when I go somewhere, but I realize I have to do a testimony later, and I feel like they've been introducing me, and I even saw their little packet they made. So I feel like you know a lot about me. So I'm not going to say too much, I guess, right now. But just one thing I do want to say is I am here with my family. My wife and son are over there. Uh, they're sitting, in my daughter, I believe, in the children's ministry. But it's a real pleasure for us to be here. Yesterday, we got to meet a bunch of you uh, in the morning and the afternoon and flushing and little neck. And everybody was so nice and welcoming and just uh, very friendly. I think I forgot probably a lot of the names already. I apologize. <laughs> but it was just great, just talking to everybody, getting to know, each, to know you. And I'm really looking forward, even after today, the service, to talk to more people. But all that being said, It's a blessing to even be able to preach God's word. So with that said, uh, let me open up God's word to Matthew 13 and short verses, verses 44, 45, and 46. So we're in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44, 45, and 46. Let me read the passage for us. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Amen. Let me pray for us before we go into the word. Father, we thank you. We praise you. And we worship you. It is such a blessing to be loved by you. It's such a blessing to come together with the community of Christ to worship you and to be in your word. And today we pray that as we delve into your word, as we think about who we are, as we think about who you are, as we think of your amazing faithfulness and grace and your love, we pray that we will be amazed by you. We will be convicted by your word, encouraged by your word, and that we would truly Worship you, and give you the glory that you deserve. As we are blessed by you, we thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're in the book of Matthew, and a couple parables here. And Matthew 13, if you actually look at Matthew 13, there's a bunch of not a bunch, a number of parables, and they're all about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And you know, parables, parables are great. Parables are something that Jesus used to teach us, teach his disciples, truths about God, about the kingdom, about ourselves. And when you hear the word parable, maybe a couple come to mind, maybe the Good Samaritan story, a very famous one, and we learn what does it mean to love our neighbor, right, to who is our neighbor even. We think of maybe the prodigal son story, right, the love of God, the father, the love of our savior. In this passage, in these two parables, Jesus is teaching us something really important about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Now, when you hear the word kingdom, I don't know what comes to mind to you. Um, actually, last night as I was looking over my sermon, I thought of something that I didn't give our translator, so I apologize in advance. But I realized recently when I think of when I hear the word kingdom, I think of actually that show on Netflix. It's a K drama about, about zombies. And that's the thing I think about actually for some reason. But outside of that, when you hear the word kingdom, you usually think of a place, right? You think of castle, where you think of boundaries, where you think of uh, a place out there. But when Jesus is talking about kingdom, he's talking about God's rule, God's sovereignty, God's kingliness. And in this passage specifically, when he says the kingdom, he's talking about what does it look like when God is ruling our hearts? When God is ruling my heart, when God is ruling your heart. And so today, I want to talk about that. What does it look like when we are treasuring Christ, when we are worshiping him, when the kingdom of God becomes a reality in my life? And I have three points. I fact, like pastors always have three points. I'm not sure why. You know, somebody told me it's a Trinitarian thing. I don't know about that, but... Three points today, um, tasting grace, following and cherishing Christ, and how to follow and cherish Christ. So tasting grace. First parable, we see a person. He's in a field, and he finds treasure. Now here's the thing. He's not looking for it. He's not hunting for treasure. He's just doing something else, He's, and he, he finds it. A lot of scholars say the guy probably represents... A poor person who's working in the field, digging up the ground for something, and he finds treasure. Of course, he's ecstatic. He's overjoyed. And then what does he do? He sells everything to get the treasure. Second story, very similar and yet a little different. What happens? We see a merchant. He's looking for fine pearls. And he finds a valuable, wonderful pearl. So what does he do? He sells everything again and he buys that pearl so we see similarities we see differences we see that they're both you know they're both overjoyed because they find treasure that they didn't know you know that they would get first person's probably poor second person's probably rich but the thing the key to both stories is this they both find something so valuable so amazing, so wonderful that they sell everything to get that one thing. Now, it's a picture, I want to say, of tasting grace. I have a couple examples I want to share. One's from college. I, I, was, I think I was spoiled growing up because I realized in college I didn't know how to do laundry. I don't know if you ever had the experience. Freshman year, and I said, wait, how do you do this thing? My mom has done my laundry my whole life. So I actually asked a friend to come with me the first time. Show me. And then I realized this is so sad. This was so easy. But as I was doing laundry, and I was one of those people I hated doing laundry. I used to do it like once a month. I used to go to Walmart, buy boxers because I didn't want to do laundry. But one day I'm doing my laundry, and I found $40. $40. In my jean pocket. Now, I don't know about you, for me in college, $40 was a lot of money. I was so happy. It's my money, right? Because I probably put it in there. But just the fact that I found $40, I remember just being so happy. I don't have to eat dining hall food, I can go out to get something to eat. Second example I want to share. First time I had a Concord grape. I don't know if you know what a Concord grape is. You know, it's that grape where it's like purple and you don't eat the skin, you take the thing in the inside, it's amazing. I never had it. Fifth grade, my parents, they said, let's visit Korea, let's, you know, let's visit where we came from. And so we visited Korea. My mom says to me, try this grape. I had red grapes, I, had pur- I mean, I had red grapes, green grapes, never had a purple grape. And I said, mom, what is this? She said, it's amazing, but you can't eat it. You gotta, you gotta like suck it out. And so I did it. I cried it was so good I think I literally just shed a tear and I said mom why have you withheld this from me what is this and it's just a Concord grape but for me in fifth grade it was so good I was so happy and after that every day mom let's get some more grapes because it's so delicious why do I share this When you think about your relationship with God, if it doesn't feel like that, maybe you haven't tasted grace because grace is so good. God is so good. Jesus, we sing about him, but he's so good. And grace is so amazing that it blows you away. Right? We need to taste grace. See, the first story, we see a person who finds treasure hidden in a field, and it's ridiculous to us. It's like a movie with pirates, with a map, with an X. They're looking for treasure. That's not real life. If you have a backyard, right, I don't have a backyard, but if you had a backyard and you went to your backyard and you dug it up, I guarantee you, no treasure. No treasure. But in Jesus' day, this was common. Because there was no sophisticated, no secure banking system, and there's nowhere to store your valuables. So a lot of people, what they did was they dug a hole in the ground, and they hid the treasure. But here's the thing. Who do you tell about where you dug and hid the treasure? Well, you don't tell anyone, because that would defeat the purpose. You don't tell anybody. You memorize it, but you might die. Or you might just forget. And then what happens? Nobody knows about the treasure. It's gone forever. And so people would often hide their treasure, and people would sometimes pass away. And it's a very possible thing that this could happen. And people hearing Jesus' story probably knew that. But here's the thing. When I first read the story, I thought to myself, well, why did not he just take the treasure? Why, why go through all this work? But that's wrong. Right? That's stealing. Right? Can you imagine if I went to your house, and let's say you had a basement. And imagine I went to your basement. I don't know why I would go there, but let's just say I did. And let's say I found something in your basement that you didn't know about, and it was so expensive and so valuable. What, what, what should I do as a pastor, as a Christian? Hey, what is this? Imagine I said nothing. And I said, let me buy your house. Why? I don't know. I just feel led to buy your house. I'll pay you double for your house. And you say, okay. And imagine you find out later what I did. We wouldn't be friends anymore. Right? Because that's wrong. That's shady. That seems, whether it's legally right or wrong, ethically, morally, it just seems shady. It sounds wrong. Here's the point. Is grace so good? that it feels like I'm cheating someone. Yes. Right? Grace is so good. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is so good. It's so free that it feels like we're cheating someone because we don't deserve it. The kingdom of heaven is different from anything the world offers. The world says what? The world says you have to succeed. The world says if you want to matter, if you want to have value, you have to do well. You need to get the right job. You need to go to a good school. You have to have the right family. You have to have the right friends. You have to marry the right person, and so on and so forth. The world says we have to earn our sense of worth. And to be honest, even as a Christian, a lot of times, it's the same thing. We feel like we have to go to the, right Bible, the enough Bible studies. We have to go to that prayer meeting. Oh, I have to serve a lot to be worthy enough. But Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is nothing like that. He says it's not about what you do. What you do is not what it's truly about. He's saying what I have done for you is what truly matters. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, wonderful passage. It's not about me having to do all of these different things to be worthy, to measure. It's about, it's about what Christ has done for his people, the people of God that are bought with his blood. So here's my question this morning. Have you tasted grace. Have you tasted the kingdom of God? So That's my first point, tasting grace. Second point, following and cherishing Christ. Now, when we taste his grace, when we know his goodness, there has to be a response. And what is Christianity about? It's about, in many ways, desiring and cherishing my choice. You know, when something's important, what do we do? We cherish it. You know, my son is total mama's boy. We'll have the best time ever. Mommy comes home. I'm second-class citizen. You know, I'm used to it, but I'm still sad. Yesterday, he won the daddy, though. I don't know what that's about. But I'm like, I'll take it. But you know, when you're growing up, we have a lot of jokes. And I don't know about these days, but I remember when I was growing up, a lot of mom jokes. I don't know why. Your mom this, your mom that. And then somebody always takes it too far. Then what happens? What'd you say? You want to say that again? And it's a fight. Why? Because my mom matters. My mom is important to me. How dare you? I have two young kids. I cherish them, six and three. I look at them and generally have two thoughts. First thought, you're so tiring. Second thought, I love you so much. My wife and I talk about it. Our lives would be so empty without these two, we think, because we just love them so much. There's nothing I wouldn't do for them. And when I think of anything bad that could happen to them, nothing my wife or I would not do to protect them. Why? Again, because they matter. They're important because we love them so much. See, being a Christian is not only about truth, what I believe in, but it's also about treasuring that truth. It's about having a passion for that truth. You know, when you're young, we treasure, what, dancing, singing, sports, video games, our friends. Maybe if you're studious, we treasure our studies. You get older, things change, but things stay the same because we still treasure something. A friend of mine used to say that when you get old, the difference between boys and men, she said, is the size of their toys. And there's truth to that, right? Because as we get older, we just treasure different things. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's getting the right job, getting into the right school, getting that promotion, having the right family, having the right marriage partner. And whatever it is, we have a passion for those things. Why? Because we love it. We care about it. We cherish it. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe and do you have a passion for the Lord? If I'm a Christian, if I am a child of God, I should have a passion for what I believe in. I should have a passion for the Lord because he is good. Both stories, they give up everything. They sell everything for that treasure, for that pearl. Because they found something good. They found something better. A Christian says, I give up everything for you, Lord, because you are better. But let's be honest, a lot of times we don't want to give up anything for God. Or we'll give up these things, but not the really important things. Because maybe God isn't that important. Maybe the kingdom of God is not that important. Maybe money's more important. Maybe family is more important. Maybe my job is more important. Maybe my status is more important. And the question I have for you and me is, what is more important to us? What is our treasure? What do we follow? One of the ways that we show worth is by what we give up. What do I say no to to say yes to something valuable? A lot of professional athletes give up a lot to be really good at their profession, to be elite. I remember in 2020... The beginning of the pandemic, my wife and I started watching a lot more Netflix than we used to. I think it was a common theme in a lot of houses. And one day I was scrolling and I saw a documentary about a K-pop group called Blackpink. I had never heard of Blackpink, but I like the name Blackpink. I'm like, what does that even mean? So I watched the documentary and I was floored by what these young ladies gave up. Right, from like young teenage years, they gave up any kind of normalcy to train and train for like five, six years, something really long. So they could become a big girl group and big K-pop group. And that was their goal, right? That was kind of like their treasure. I'm willing to give up my whole like older childhood to attain this goal. And they did it. There was a concert, I think, last year in Newark. And my social media was blowing up, not with young people, 30- and 40-year-olds. I'm at Black Pit concert. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, they're so popular. But they gave up so much because they had a treasure. You know, I got married a little later than a lot of people I knew. I was in my late 30s. And I got a lot of pressure from my parents. My dad, my mom used to say, if you want to be a good son, Get married. To who? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Just get married. But I was stubborn. I said, No, mom, I would rather not be married than marry the wrong person. I will not settle. Then I met my wife. And, you know, it was quick. We fell in love, or well, at least I fell in love first. And, you know, I proposed. And we got married within one year of meeting each other. It was actually, everything was very quick. But when, when we got married, I took it seriously. I remember thinking about marriage, and I said, you know, when I walk down that aisle, when I say I do, I am telling every other woman in the world, no, so I could say yes to my wife. They may not want me, but it doesn't matter. I'm still saying no to all of them because this is who I want to be with. Yes. I don't think it means a lot to my wife when I say that, but I think it should but what do i say no to in order to say yes to god it's the essence of worship when i say lord i love you lord i worship you lord you are my treasure if i say that from my heart i'm saying money is not my treasure i'm saying family is not my treasure i'm saying lord you're my everything i don't just sing it sunday morning I mean it from my heart because I know what Jesus has done for me. I know how much he loves me. And I am saying, Lord, you are my everything. You are my treasure. You know, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus meets some disciples. And he helps them catch a lot of fish. And you would think maybe they would say, whoa, Jesus, we caught so much fish. Stick around, (laughs) let's catch some more fish. They don't say that. The Bible says they left everything and they followed him. They left the fish behind and they followed Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is better. I wonder though, will some of us say, Jesus, stick around, help me catch more fish. When you taste grace, when you experience the kingdom of God, when you have Jesus in your life, you want to follow Jesus at the cost of everything. See, the only reason to follow Christ is not because he's useful, but because he's true and because he is better. He costs everything. And has my faith cost Everything Has it actually changed my life, my lifestyle, my attitudes? Has the gospel had a comprehensive, costly effect on my life? So tasting grace, following, cherishing Christ, last point. How do I follow and cherish Christ? Now, I don't know about all of your stories. I don't know if you grew up in the church or if you... You know, became converted and became a Christian later in life. Or maybe some of you, obviously, maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you're just, you're here out of curiosity, you're here with friends or family. I grew up in the church. My father's a pastor. He actually was not a pastor when I was born, he went into ministry later. But even from the womb, I was in the church. And I remember as a teenager, I would go on retreats, youth retreats. And maybe some of you have had this experience. And, you know, you go on this retreat, and I would, you know, have a good speaker, a good praise team. I would get really blessed. I would get kind of emotional. And I would say, Jesus, I love you. I would come home on fire for God. And two weeks later, my life would look exactly the same as before. And then I would wait for the, the next retreat, thinking, oh, I need, I need another something, which I think can be a little dangerous at times. But when we hear people saying, live for Jesus, when we hear people confessing Jesus is my treasure, he's my everything, then the question becomes this, how? Right, how do I live like that? How do I sell everything for Jesus? How do I sell out for Jesus? It's not willpower, because willpower will last a little bit, but It won't last too long. It's not guilt. Guilt works, but again, it doesn't last. It's not fruitful. How can I cherish? How can I follow Jesus? How can Jesus be my treasure? And it's in the passage, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And the three words, after the then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field, right? In his joy. It wasn't duty. It wasn't force. It wasn't guilt. It wasn't coercion. It wasn't bribery. It was joy. In his joy, he goes and sells everything. That others cling on to. The power is in the joy. For him, it wasn't discipline. It wasn't sacrifice. Because he found treasure that made everything else look small. Made everything else actually look like trash. He realized that this is so good, the other stuff doesn't matter anymore. It's so much better, this treasure, and the treasure of my heart, it can't be bought, it has to be found. You can accomplish a lot of things and still feel empty. You know, when you're young, sometimes you might think, if only I get into the right school, life would be great. But maybe we get into that school. But life isn't that great. We might think, if only I get that job. Life would be so great. Maybe you get that job. Maybe you work all these long hours with people you don't like. Maybe it's not that great. Maybe you think, if only I meet the right person and get married to the right person, life would be wonderful. Marriage is great. But it's not everything. It can't be everything. And marriage does not end at the wedding. There's real work after. You know, I do a lot of premarital counseling Well, and marriage counseling, but the premarital counseling is it's so nice. We love each other. How's your communication? It's good. Conflict resolution. What conflict? <laughs> Five years later, <sighs> pastor, marriage is difficult. <laughs> right? It's work. Marriage is great. But it can't be everything. And if you make it everything, you're going to feel empty. If only I make X amount of money, life would be so good. There are so many people that are rich who are also hollow because they wonder, was this what I worked so hard for? There's a phrase, I heard it from Tim Keller. I don't know if, I forget if it's his own quote or if he's quoting somebody else, but I like it. And I'm probably going to butcher it. I forget the exact wording, but here's kind of how it goes. Keller says, when you're young, you cry for the moon. And when you're old, you just cry. Let us sink in for a second. Some of you are laughing, but it's actually really sad. But when you're young, you cry for the moon. I want this. I will accomplish this. And his point is when you get old, you're like, really? That was it? And he says, You cry. The point is this, you can't find your treasure in the world. You have to find true treasure. The only way to overcome desire for human approval is to find the treasure of God's approval of us. I realized in seminary that one of my biggest idolatries was approval. I didn't know that. And I realized that growing up, I wanted approval from my mother. Dad, I don't think I cared as much, but I wanted mom's approval. And so I was a good kid. My sister got into, a lot, so she got into some trouble, but I either was good or at least I hid the sin because right, I wanted the approval. You get older, that approval went towards friends. So you try to do things to be cool, to be liked, and you do some foolish things, dumb things. Why? To get approval. Got called to ministry. I went to seminary, and I was a youth intern, right? I was a pastoral intern. I was at seminary, commuting. I was actually serving uh, right here, actually, uh, in Flushing, on Franklin Avenue, big Korean church, doing the youth group there. I was 22. They were 15 to 17. That's really close in age. And I'm thinking, what do I know? I don't know what I'm doing. But I had one thing going for me. They thought I was cool. Because I was young. I mean, I'm too old now. But back then, they thought, they used to say I was, I was a cool pastor. I'm like, oh, tell me more. But here's the problem. Because I liked it, I couldn't rebuke them. You know, when you're in youth ministry, you have to do some rebuking. Because they're foolish. And sometimes you have to tell them, no, 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 you can't do that. I couldn't do it because I liked being liked. They thought I was the most patient, pers- patient person in the world. They were wrong. It was sinful fear. I was scared. And then one day, God used another pastor to rebuke me. My initial response was, you don't know me. And then I said, well, you do know me. And I had to really repent. But not only did I repent, I had to be reminded how much God loves me that I don't need anyone else's approval because I have the true approval of the only one who really matters, whose opinion really matters, I should say. I'm forgiven, I'm saved, I'm adopted, I'm a child to God, I'm perfect in God's eyes. And if God loves and approves of me, it shouldn't matter if I have their approval or not. It's nice, of course, but I should not be controlled by it because I have God's approval. And when that became real to me, and I knew it, but when it became real, I was more faithful because I didn't need that approval. We find joy in Christ because Jesus is better. It's a simple statement, but it's such a true statement. The treasure was better, the pearl was better, and Jesus is better. Why is he better? Because he's the one who loves us, who died for us. He came from heaven to earth, Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's incredible. The father giving up his own son for his people. Jesus Willingly, sacrificially going to the cross, dying the death that we deserve, being forsaken so that we can be forgiven. When we think about who he is, what he has done, when that gospel message sinks in into our brains and into our hearts, then we realize how much better Jesus is in his joy we can live for his glory. You know, when I came into um, Queens yesterday, I was telling my wife, oh, you know, you know, I grew up in Queens. so I was like, oh, I remember this place. And I was getting all nostalgic. You know, it's, you know and she was, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think she cares so much. But I have very fond memories of on Northern Boulevard, the Taco Bell. It's been around forever. I love Taco Bell. But we never eat Taco Bell because my wife doesn't like it. It's very sad to me. But one day I convinced her and she said, never again. <laughs> but I know it's not real Mexican food, but I don't know something about it. Just the Diablo sauce, right? Just something just hits. And if, a f- and if my friend came to me and said, hey, James, Let me get that taco, that soft taco supreme. That's what I like. I'd probably say no. It's mine. I like it. But if he said to me, brother, you give me that soft taco supreme, I'll buy you a nice Peter Luger steak. i get you three tacos. (laughs) Why? Because, yeah, I like tacos, but a juicy, delicious steak is so much better. Here's the point. The world sometimes looks good. It looks shiny, money, success. And these things, they can be very good things. But compared to Christ, they are rubbish. What does Paul say? Philippians 3, for his sake, I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Everything is rubbish compared to to knowing Christ my hope my prayer for you for me this morning is that as we look at Christ as we gaze upon Christ as we meditate upon the gospel and grace and we see how good he is how lovely how amazing he is that our response would be to say Lord we don't want these other things to be our number one we don't want these other things to be our treasure We want you to be our treasure. And we want to live our lives for you and for you alone. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for you are so good. Words cannot truly describe how good you are. And when we think about the treasure that you are, we cannot help but to be blown away by you. And Father, we pray today that all of us here in this room today, that as we see how good our Savior is, as we see how amazing your grace is, that we would say, for to me, to live as Christ and to die as gain, I want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness because you are good, you are better. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.